Okay, so this is going to be the last week on the Grace Plus Grace series, also called Grace Upon Grace series. I'll be uh, changing it from Grace Upon Grace to Grace Plus Grace for the uh, the book version that I'll hopefully be writing sometime in the next few years. Um, I forgot to turn off my phone. So... Um, we are on the back side of the page, and we're looking at 21 areas. Uh, as you know, uh, some of you I've told this testimony too many times, that uh, after my little brother's death, during the next four and a half months, I was, uh, because I was accepted to college on a proba probationary program, being that I was a uh, pothead, and not uh, particularly motivated to uh, study or become have any character, the... Uh, that was kind of the final event in my getting on fire for the Lord, and I spent the next four and a half months at home with no job, reading the, uh, promising my parents every day around four o'clock that it's too late to look for a job today, so tomorrow I'll look for a job. <laughs> I was able to keep that going for a little over three months. But uh, every day I was reading the Word about 10 hours, and uh, I would go to different churches because of my parents' connections. I went to all kinds. I went to a four-square gospel church, which is a Pentecostal denomination, uh, Church of God of Prophecy, which is a very small Pentecostal denomination, uh, a small Quaker church that my parents were friends with the friends, uh, <laughs> and uh, in a, a charismatic Episcopalian church, a charismatic Catholic group, uh, a non-denominational group, uh, had some some connections with one of them and so forth and I as especially as I read the book of Acts which John has taken us through recently I just kept asking myself why is there such discrepancies between what seems like the biblical church and the life of the first century Christians and what we have today and so that's kind of uh, next year I'll be 40 years in the Lord I'm hoping that means something like we'll finally break through here at uh, Grace Christian Fellowship and I actually think it does mean that uh, hopefully that will be uh, prophetic. But we've been looking at for these 40 years, uh, what what is the church of the early centuries? Uh, you know, the reformers, people will talk about reformed Christianity, but the reformers were actually trying to get back to apostolic Christianity. And uh, more than being reformed, we need to be apostolic. We need to be restoring. I, I like to think of us as restorationists. God... Uh, in Acts 3, it, uh, the, uh, Peter is speaking, and he talks about uh, Jesus Christ, whom heaven must receive until the period of the restoration of all things. I believe that God is going to bring some significant measure of restoration to every sphere of human endeavor that was destroyed or damaged by the fall. One of the great truths of Scripture is the Imago Dei, that we are, we are made in the image of God, and even totally depraved, sick, sinful, selfish, greedy, stubborn, proud, selfishly ambitious, uh, lost, running from God, blame, blame shifters, uh, hating God, hating his truth, that all of us are before Christ or, uh, comes into our life and begins to draw us to himself. Nevertheless, we retain uh, some of the image of God. And so... Um, what God is about is he wants to restore you to the type of person you were created to be if man had not fallen. 
And God has given us Jesus Christ as the perfect God-man model for us to base our life on. If you want to know what it means to be a true man, study the Gospels. Uh, God gives us secondary models in the prophets and the apostles, but especially in the apostles. So if you want other models of what it's like to be a true man, study Peter, James, Jude, and, and Paul. And of course, uh, Peter and Paul, the church is long recognized, they stand out especially among the apostles. So uh, God is in all through the scriptures, it says, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mount. And the tabernacle of Moses, it, uh, look at Exodus 25, 8, 9, and 40 sometime. And then take that through, and you, one of the things you'll see is Moses is building, everyone says, well, I bogged down in the details. Well, one detail you can't afford to miss is that everything, everything that Moses makes in the tabernacle, and it says he spun the fabric out of blue, you know, then it says, just as the Lord had commanded Moses, uh, according to the pattern just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Uh, then over and over it says, according to the pattern that was shown to him on the mountain. And I think on the mountain is important, meaning he was, he was not just in a natural human plane of, of, of vision, but he had an inspired vision from God of what his uh, tabernacle was to be. And of course, in John 1, Christ became flesh and tabernacled among us. That's what John 1.14 says. The Greek actually says he tabernacled among us. And then now, uh, as Revelation tells us, after the resurrection of Christ, after the ascension and the coronation and the pouring of the oil, anointing oil on his head, which poured into the earth as Pentecost, after that uh, event, in a different way, it, it had always been true, it had always been God's purpose, but in a much more complete, um, total way, the tabernacle of God is with men. And it is you and me, but not as individualistic. Yes, you're, yes, individually, your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, and we can't lose that, but all truths in Scripture are held in di diametrical opposition to other counterbalancing truths, and we moderns have missed, you know, this started with the Reformation. I, we could get into a lot of how this has happened. But the church is just as important as your private walk. God really came always to have a people living in covenant with him and with each other as a group manifesting the presence of God to the world around them. We are, as Ray Nethery is always saying, mediators of the presence of God. That's what the church is supposed to be. So in, when it comes to, well, how should we do church? Uh, I remember uh, having dinner at a guy named Peter Mandel's house in Bowling Green one night with a man named Bob Mumford, who only the older among us would probably know who he was, is. Uh, I think he's still alive, last I checked. And uh, he's uh, well into his 80, about 83 now. And uh, he... Uh, Somebody said, what is it we're trying to do with uh, experimenting with community and home groups and all the stuff we're trying and how to come under authority and how to do personal discipleship? And he said, we're trying to find that which God will bless with, by manifesting his presence. Okay, so that really is the issue. The issue is uh, God uh, does not bless your doing it your way. Uh, we love 
John is our worship leader, but if he ever leads us in worship to Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way, it'll be the first time I've been upset with him about his choice of worship songs in many years. <laughs> because, of course, that is the probably the most demonic song of all time. Uh, I Did It My Way. That's the essence of man's fallen nature. So... Uh, with that in view, let's get into some of these other things. I was actually purposely stalling until Cotty got here. So we're at point eight on the backside because I wanted uh, all the Friday night worship people to hear this. Um, Psalm, uh, point eight, biblical patterns of worship, the tabernacle and the journey into the Holy of Holies. People uh, wonder if uh, why we have this mixture of contemporary worship on Sunday with the historical things that that the New Testament makes clear. We 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 demonstrated how the New Testament made makes clear that they uh, recited creeds uh, right after the resurrection of Christ. And we showed a couple of those creeds that are listed up in point six. You can read those verses. Those are New Testament verses that were actually recited in the first day of the week worship. The first day of the week being the day of the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation and the resurrection. Uh, and all the things that Christ accomplished in his first uh, first uh, advent of coming, these, uh, these things were proclaimed by the church in their worship. Scripture, you know, Paul says, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. They had Scripture readings. Okay? They definitely, it's very clear from there's no time in the church until modern times where any churches didn't take communion every week. That, that came about after the Civil War uh, as a result of the fundamentalist modernist controversy and in uh, a new view of communion that it's merely symbolism, that it doesn't necessarily have any value other than to remind us, uh, which, of course, was never the teaching of the church. It's, it has much more value. Why would Christ do it if it wasn't important? Why would he say, do this in remembrance of me? In the early church took the Lord's Supper at all their gatherings, but especially on the first day of the week. So why do we, do, do we just have contemporary worship because it's cool? And uh, if, if you'll notice, almost all churches have on their signs now that they have both con- traditional and contemporary services. And we, you know, we, we're Americans and it's all about individual choice. And, and we want to draw more people by giving them the choices that they want. That's not Christian thinking or biblical thinking at all. Okay? Uh, it's not about finding the church you're comfortable with. Can you imagine Jesus ever saying that to someone? Come follow me and I will give you really padded pews with air conditioning. And I like padded pews and air conditioning because I'm a wimp. But it's not necessarily God's view of things that you'd be made comfortable god doesn't necessarily put you in relationships and that are comfortable he puts you in relationships that are hard that'll grow you up because he's restoring the image of god so that this biblical patterns of worship why do we worship this way well because psalm 22 3 says that that the lord is enthroned on the praises of his people um the Ecclesiastes 5.1 says, uh, when you draw near to the throne of God, draw near to listen rather than offer the sacrifices of fools. So should, now some people misinterpret that verse and think we should just be quiet. But really what it is, is that the tabernacle, 
both the, the, the tabernacle that Moses built that was, that was um, portable, the permanent, uh, or at least fixed, uh, I wouldn't say permanent, but the fixed te temple uh, that Solomon built, the temple of our very bodies, uh, are meant to tell us a point. The same point is, is you can discern it by reading the Psalms and looking at the structure of the Psalms. The Psalms aren't any haphazard way. The Psalms have a, a structure. Uh, Psalm 100, come into his presence with thanksgiving in your hearts. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts and come into his presence with joy. Make a joyful noise, shout, and so forth. We, When we worship, we are primarily, most of us are not walking in the power uh, glory and sensitivity to the spirit that Jesus Christ walked in all the time. Uh, Jesus, of course, whenever they wanted to make him king and whenever the crowds were getting loud or getting big, as John taught us again a week or two back, he had a message about come away and rest. It's not just about rest. It's about being restored. It's, it's come away and get your priorities straight. Touch God. You, you have to every day. That's why spiritual devotions are so important and spiritual disciplines. Every day you have to take a big drink of the Holy Spirit. Why? We leak. And people wonder like, well, I've been kind of dry and even speaking in tongues isn't helping. And, you know, uh, well, how often do you read the word and, and, and spend some time worshiping and speaking? Oh, every three or four or five days. Well, you're not going to be able to get flowing again. When, when, like if I've neglected my devotions for several days, it sometimes will take me several hours to get flowing again. Uh, fortunately, I have the kind of lifestyle where I can sit in my study for several hours if I want. But you, uh, the, the truth of the matter is, is that we are solical people. Uh, we tend to be oriented by our, again, we're like a temple. We have our spirit. We have our soul, which our spirit consists of the place where we fellowship God, where his spirit dwells. Uh, it can it consists of uh, the conscience God's given us, which was damaged by the fall, and God is restoring as part of our restoration walk with him so that our conscience actually accurately reflects what it was meant to. And... Uh, where we get convicted about what we're supposed to be convicted about instead of being convicted about all sorts of things that God doesn't care about, which is part of the damage that happens in the fall. And so um, our soul has our mind and our will and our emotions, and our body has five senses. And our body communicates sensory data to our soul, and our soul is self-conscious, so our soul makes decisions about that data. We remember that if I kick the pew when I walk by, it's going to hurt my toe. And so we navigate a little bit away from it. You know, we make all kinds of decisions. You are actually making hundreds of decisions about the physical data around you every minute. So most of us live, unfortunately, too much led by our physical senses and our natural mind. First Corinthians 2, by the way, is a whole chapter about that which would be very helpful to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And what God intends is for us to be filled with his spirit, living in his manifest presence, reflecting his glory in such a way that our reality is actually the, what the reality that the Holy Spirit is showing us. Now, we need to get there all the time. 
but he helps us get there by spiritual disciplines and by corporate worship. So we, there's a reason we worship the way we worship. Many churches, not knowing, not thinking much about biblical models, will have a song, then have a testimony, then a song, and then a prayer, then a song, and then some announcements, then a song, some more announcements, uh, then a song and a skit. Okay, uh, that doesn't mean God doesn't love them or we're criticizing them or so forth, but that's just not the biblical pattern for worship. That's all that means. In the Psalms, there's a call to worship, then there's praise and thanksgiving, and that praise and thanksgiving uh, leads you to, to worshiping God. And praise and thanksgiving recounts God's glorious deeds, the things uh, that he's done in the gospel, both Old Testament and New. Uh, worship focuses on, on being awed at his attributes. If you want to become a deeper worshiper, worship, you must uh, study the attributes of God in Scripture, and I would recommend a good book on the attributes of God, such as A.W. Tozer's um, The Knowledge of the Holy, which uh, I encouraged Caleb to read earlier this week. And, uh, I found myself, when I read that book, I, I've read other books on the, on the attributes of God, and of course you study that in systematic theology, but that book I found myself having to pause to worship all the time because it was a guy who had studied the attributes of God and it's theologically accurate, but the passion that he, that he is in his life for God uh, comes through so much that you end up taking worship breaks all the time. So I'd really encourage you to read a book like A.W. Tozer's. Uh, there's other books on that subject, and I think there's a couple others on the foundational book list. But I would start with that one. That's my, that's my view. But understand that when we're worshiping, we're actually kind of journeying from the outer court to the inner court to the Holy of Holies, which is very similar to how our human bodies were made. And it's very similar to how we live. And the more we take that journey, uh, what God's ultimate goal is, is that we would live in the Holy of Holies. When he died, the tabernacle was, the, the veil of the temple of the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom. It is not biblically insignificant that the scripture says from top to bottom because it was from God to man. You didn't earn the presence of God. You didn't uh, atone for man's sin. God opened up the temple. And if you can handle this theologically, or this will scare some people, it's not so much only that we should be allowed to come into the Holy of Holies, but that we should be allowed to, to, to dwell in the Holy of Holies in such a way as we, that God is released out of the Holy of Holies to the world around us. It was not so much just to keep God, to let us in, but it was to also to let God out because he had restrained himself according to his own holiness, not that God was ever limited by what he could do. So, um, the, you know, the, the idea that we worship expecting the manifest presence of God to grow in our midst and our songs focusing ever more on his glory and his holiness till we're awed at his presence, till some people are getting on their knees and others are getting on their face and, and, some, and people are hearing from the draw near to listen. It's not that we don't sing out loud all the time, but when we get, as we ride waves of the spirit of God into the presence of God, there comes a time when our posture becomes 
because we're so clearly in that scene of Revelation 4 and 5. That's what you're entering. Read Revelation 4 and 5 if you want to understand biblical worship. Read Isaiah 6. As we come into that very immediate presence of that great worship session that is going on 24-7, 365 ad infinitum forever and ever and ever, and is actually outside and above time, that every saint who's ever lived is in that worship meeting. Have you ever lost someone close to you? I, I take great comfort that my little brother, my grandmothers, uh, pe many people, my dear friend Martha, who was uh, you know, Caleb's mother and Larry's wife, uh, all sorts of people we've known who, who died in Christ, they're actually, that's where they are this morning. They're not like just playing tennis or something. They're in that, that eternal worship meeting that we enter into when we worship the Lord together. Now, you do enter into it when you worship the Lord privately, but there's a special way that corporate worship enters into that gathering and that we're actually become part of the cloud of witnesses. So this is not some minor manner. We cannot just have uh, outward, you know, arguments about outward forms where maybe what we need is to get back to the hymn book of 1747. Uh, well, some of the great old hymns, uh, if, you don't, if you're not a fan of old hymns, get with John Gray. He'll set you straight. Uh, he's a great fan of old hymns. But uh, I wish we, as we, as we grow in having more musicians and as we get to the point where we could, you know, free up people to focus more on worship because when you're a small church most people wear 7 10 12 hats but as you get up to 70 and 80 people and so forth you start wearing less hats and as we can get a group of people who can for focus on worship god will do so many great you know worship will always be a first place emphasis of grace christian fellowship we are called to live a life where our life is worship unto him and we want to have awesome, spirit-filled, powerful, glory of God manifested in our midst, worship. And we are not worthy of that. Uh, one of the reasons I take Saturday night so seriously, Saturday night, uh, many of you, I'm not laying this on you necessarily, especially when you're young people, because most of you are giving up your Friday nights to come worship with us and so forth. But Saturday night is is for me is holy to the Lord. We stay home. And we went to bed last night at like around 4.30 in the afternoon. <laughs> I slept all the way the, till this morning, something like that. Although we did get up for and had something to eat. But uh, I wasn't out partying. Uh, of course, that's because uh, John and Leah got me up at 5 a.m. on Saturday to go to Cincinnati. But um, I'm old. Anyway. Do we get this? This is not this is not some optional thing. This is not something that's just our style preference. Okay, now I hope we can add an, uh, an organ to it someday. I hope we can add a full drum set. I hope we can add a bass player. I hope we can have you know um, have uh, styles of music that that flow with African American music and with Spanish music and and with white people music and uh, uh, and so I. I'm all for that, but it has to be in this pattern. You can have all sorts of instrumentation, all sorts of arrangement. Some of the great old hymns are awesome. You know, I was, I've been sharing with, with some people recently about Charles Wesley. You know, he doesn't get much, you know, everyone knows who John Wesley was, and, and uh, most people know who George Whitfield was, but Charles Wesley was, they, 
was the third member of a member of six guys called the Holy Club at Oxford in Cambridge in England and they were they were all ministers and they were all graduate students in our system today and they were all uh, meeting daily for Bible study and prayer and what they were seeking is they knew that they were religious they knew they were legalistic they knew they were performance-based and they were seeking a born-again experience from God and they had been told about this by the Moravian brethren. If you've never Google Moravian sometime and read about that. If you think like International House of Prayers 24-7 prayer thing is some new idea. Actually, it was started by Christ in the Gospels. He stayed up all night to pray several times. Uh, it continued. In, it was a Paul said that he was in watchings often. And I, and I misspoke when I said it was started by Christ because, of course, Isaiah talks about watchings and those who the Lord has appointed to be watchmen, which means praying all night. And I uh, don't encourage you to do it every night. It's not good for your health, but but you should be able to do that once in a while. Once in a while, you should have an all night prayer, Bible reading, prayer session, worship where you're just alone with God and worship Him all night. Now try it. Uh, we used to. Uh, I'm hoping as we gather momentum, we can and get a little, few more people. Uh, I was part of a church where we did that. Uh, we had an all-night Friday night worship once a month, and uh, and people took actual like shifts. Some people would go sleep for two or three hours, well, you know, and, and we prayed all night on Friday nights. Some people stayed up for the whole night. Others took a little sleep breaks, and, and, and as the Lord led, led people, but. Uh, you know, I'm talking all around this, but it it this is just so important. And in fact, it is a stepping stone. It is the key stepping stone to where we need to get to, where uh, the the kind of walk in the Holy Spirit that Jesus walked in becomes our normal experience. It is not it is not weird or supernatural to to walk like be so filled with the Holy Spirit if God gives you a a propensity toward the gift of discernment of spirits to be able to when you meet people to know if their spirit is born again or not, if their spirit has been baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, if they have a large number of demonic influences or not in their life. That is not, that is not weird. That's normal. And now God, I, I don't know anyone who God gives that to for every, all, for every person, but I myself experience that kind of thing quite often and quite regularly where the Lord will show you a lot about a person just when you meet him. You know, Jesus talked to the woman at the well, and he knew all about her. He didn't have to schedule 17 counseling sessions where he had her take tests that would show where she's at and various issues and drew her out and so forth. He just spoke to her spirit with full knowledge by the Holy Spirit of who her spirit is. And he said, I, over and over, he said, I am your model. He did not live out of his deity. He lived out of his humanity, leaning on the power and wisdom of the Spirit the same way you and I walk. And so when, when we get to the book of Acts and we read verses, uh, John brought one of these out in his teachings on Acts, where Paul uh, looks into the girl's spirit and and. It says, fix your eyes on me, and he sees that she has faith to be delivered, and so forth. Uh, Peter and John going to the temple in Acts 3, 1, they said, look, put your gaze on us. And they imparted us faith to receive a healing. The, this is normal Christianity. 
One of the things you'll find is that in Mark 16, the Lord worked with them, confirming the word by the signs that followed. That the signs following will depend on two things. One, we have to get back to more sharing his word, not the Americanized gospel. I thought John's uh, four four key elements of apostolic uh, gospeling was uh, very helpful for us there. Um, Two, we have to get out there and do it. There are lots of Christians who actually have a doctrine that they have in their mind because we all have the fear of man and we all are natural-minded where, well, we don't go out and share. We just live our lifestyle before them. I, it's amazing to me that people call themselves Bible-believing Christians and then say stuff like that. We've really got to understand that Bible-believing means, belief in the scripture means practice. Belief means doing. Belief means following, trusting. It's, so the truth of the matter is, if you take any, you could you probably learn this in one or two hours, Go skin, you know, get a tool like Bible Gateway or a search engine and go through the New Testament, and you will see that about half of the exhortations about how to witness throughout the New Testament are to live it together as a lifestyle. And don't let there be any fleshly sin among us, like First Peter 1.12 and so forth. Right? You know, uh, having no quarrels or divisions among us, uh, to, to live Christ. We have no witness if we aren't a witness. When the Holy Spirit comes on you in Acts 1.8, he doesn't make you witness. He makes you become a witness. And we are all in process. We are growing in Christ as we gaze on his glory and as we're transformed, as Paul says, from glory to glory, our life is becoming a more accurate witness of God by the grace of God over time. That is absolutely essential to be. So if someone says, I really like lifestyle evangelism and friendship evangelism, say, praise God, so do I, because that's half of the emphasis of the New Testament. And the other half is how can they believe unless they hear, and how can they hear unless someone goes, and how can they they go unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the glad tidings. Over and over, Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. That means proclamation evangelism. That means purposely going out and telling people uh, about the the risen Christ that that is reigning and his, his kingdom is here and now. Jesus is offering you reconciliation to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, to the purpose and, and direction of all history, and you can get reconciled to his plan now. First, by getting reconciled to him, which inevitably means being reconciled to his purposes. And you can join up with Jesus right now. And frankly, any other life is a waste of life. That's what, if you can't get motivated to go sharing the gospel, I would encourage you to, 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 to read a book like Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster, something that will take you deeper in your relationship with God because you can't really have much of a relationship with God without having a burden for the laws. That, that's, that's an impossibility, biblically. If you, if you have a great relationship with God, you will be concerned about the lost image of God in, in the creation, creatures around you, 
In other words, you'll love your fellow man sacrificially enough to lay down your life to see them reconcile. We, Paul said, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be, recognized, be reconciled to God. That's in 2 Corinthians 5.18 if, you, if you're keeping score. Now, all of that's on one point this morning, the biblical worship pattern. And I did this for the Friday night guys because it's not this coming Friday night, but the next Friday night. So not, uh, what's the dates here? I, I threw aside my phone. What's the date for this Friday night? 30th. 30th. And then the next one is September 6th. 6th. So starting September 6th, we are going to have a Friday night worship that will be with the full worship team. Uh, John will be here uh, every other Friday night. But uh, we, you know, we are uh, using the, uh, the opposite Fridays to see God raise up more worship leaders, more leaders, and so forth. And so uh, Caleb, Edwin, Cotty, uh, especially those three in whom I, and Sam, uh, you know, lead us in worship. But I'm just trying to give you this for instead of like sing a song and then someone prays, sing a song, somebody has an announcement, sing a song and then couple people are punching each other in the back room. No, whatever. Journey, first start by journeying into the manifest presence of God so that everybody in the audience could quote the scripture, the Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? Does that make sense? That's a pattern. Uh, and that's just something that, that is in the Bible. Read the Psalms and look for that structure. If you if you haven't seen that structure, one of the easiest Psalms to see it in is Psalm 103. The, David starts out by saying, um, "Bless the Lord, all my soul." He's having to talk to himself. Sometimes I, uh, you know, hopefully you won't be offended by this or anything, but I'm a sinner and human being. I hope you all know that. Most of you really know that deeply. But uh, <laughs> but one other thing, I've struggled with depression at, at times. <laughs> And uh, I get moody. I get discouraged about the, you know, uh, what's going. You know, fr frankly, I when I hear different reports of someone is not doing as well, I'm oh, I wonder how so and so is doing. I I'm concerned about your spiritual health all the time. It keeps me up at night many times because uh, I love you and I want to see us corporately take the world by storm. I want to see God move, build a, a very biblical, very important church here that will, that will uh, be a model uh, of getting back to so many of these 21 emphasis that we're looking at on the back sheet of your, hopefully everybody has an outline. Uh, so, and we're, I'm just mostly focusing on number eight right now today. So, um, you know, I struggle with these kind of things. So Psalm 103 is a model for me. Okay, hopefully uh, some of you can relate. I, I've ministered to some of you who say, yeah, I get moody or I struggle with depression or whatever. Well, start with Psalm 103. David out loud, it's very important if you're going to break out of any kind of spiritual problem that comes about by being too passive, that you overcome the passivity by the aggressiveness of doing it out loud. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself. He's commanding himself to start blessing the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I'm actually going to turn there. 
although I know most of it. Um, then he goes on to tell himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. He starts talking about the favorable things that God has done by his grace. Isn't that great? Right? And he starts telling the benefits. He removes your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. That's a pretty good one, isn't it? <laughs> I'd like to not uh, have them come any nearer than that. And as far as I understand, that's ad infinitum eternal. Uh, he, he heals all your diseases. He renews your youth. Now, I'm 56 years old, and we just had a couple birthdays of a couple of the older members in, of the church, and I'm sure they're happy about that he renews our youth like an eagle. He pardons all our iniquities, crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things. It's amazing. Everybody is always off you know, with movies and trips and every other way seeking to have some kind of experience that will bring them happiness we actually think if we don't have enough recreation and entertainment we can't be happy well recreation is one thing but the truth of the matter is is joy in life is about knowing him and and perfecting the things he's called you to do so that you can zero in corporately together on a team of people to do his purposes it's the he's that's what satisfying your life with good things is about. You know, I long since as my house testifies because everything need, the deck needs staying, the garage needs painted, and and you know, I if if I don't end up moving someday soon, I'll probably have to do something about some of that. But I I that I long since gave up finding happiness in a you know cool clothes, a cool car. Uh, you know, really nice accoutrements. I, all of that's okay if you keep it in perspective, but satisfying your life with good things is about zeroing in on the knowledge of him, the experience of his manifest presence, and teaming up with some people to extend his reconciliation to those around you. I, I, I hope this won't be embarrassing to anybody but you know you know what really makes me happy james davis really i think about james davis every day and i think about that because of the grace of god in his life and because of his response to the grace of god in his life and because of what john and leah have done uh, for james davis how he is growing in the lord consistently and i would prefer that to a new car If you feel led to give me a new car, I'm open. But uh, but I, I, you know what? I would much rather you went out and shared the gospel and uh, brought another James Davis along. It doesn't have to be named James Davis. Though. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's what that's what really may is the I I can't. You know, Paul talks about that. Paul says, "What is our joy and our satisfaction and our crown? Is it not you?" being steady in the presence of God, being established, not being wayward anymore, and so forth. There's no greater joy than that, and that, should not, that does not apply to pastors. It applies to brothers and sisters. What more joy could there be if you're a sister or brother than your sister or brother 
going deeper with Christ, becoming more steady in the things of the Lord. You want to bring happiness into uh, uh, your your brother or sister's life or your parents' life or someone else's life? Uh, Go further with God. You want to bring misery in and uh, and worry and and so forth into someone's life? Be wayward, unpredictable, walking in the flesh half the time. You you know that even Proverbs says that. You know, a faithful son makes his father glad, right? If you want, I mean, if. You know, I everyone knows I have a tendency to brag about my kids and spiritually and and naturally, but uh, I because I'm excited, I'm excited that when we knew when you know I still have a picture of Edwin this that's this size that I keep in my room when he was in eighth grade, <laughs> and I'm ex and I'm excited about how much he knows the Bible and loves to worship and all these kinds of things. All right, well. We're only going to get point eight done today, but this journey into worship is a foundational stepping stone ingredient to our whole life as a people and to drawing near to listen. And it's when you develop the, the, the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit to hear him speaking in situations that you'll start to be fruitful and effective because you can do nothing in and of yourself. And that applies even in such simple things as, you know, I had failed at a number of sales jobs that I had tried as a young man. And in 1991, God called me to work for a guy named Greg Jackson. And I, and I had four kids, $300 in the bank and an old car. We didn't even have two cars. And I had a mortgage and I had to make sales. And I can honestly tell you, it was the Holy Spirit giving me wisdom. Right while, right while I was on the phone, I knew by the Spirit of God what to say, what to ask, so forth. Um, I can tell you, every person that I have, uh, that, that God has given us some grace to see them grow and so forth, um, it was because I had the patience to hear what God was saying that he's doing in this person's life and to follow his plan instead of mine. And everybody I've messed up, which is unfortunately way too many people, is because I got ex anxious about my trying to bring them along and s saying things too quickly that they weren't ready to hear or, or, or trying too hard. Or I had, you know, I had compassion, so, but I didn't have, so I said, well, I'll give them money or I'll whatever, but it wasn't really what God was saying to do for them. And this kind of worship, both privately and publicly, is a key to experiencing that kind of presence of God every day, to being refilled and refilled over and over. Uh, of course, prayer is a key too, and so forth. And I think I'll end with to asking you to turn to Acts 4. And we're going to look at something very interesting. Now, most people in our church, there. Uh, believe in the, a second experience called being baptized in the Holy Spirit and that with that you get a prayer language called speaking in tongues and that when you get speak in tongues, you release the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through, you, you get the Holy Spirit when you're reconciled to God, when you're born again, when you're regenerated. 
but you get a greater release of the Holy Spirit when God gives you a prayer language to speak in tongues. And uh, we teach and believe that, that, that the seven verses that say Jesus himself will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire are about each person having their own Pentecost. But I need you to see something in this prayer meeting in Acts 4. Now, the context is that, um, you know, they had taken Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and they had warned them to not speak anymore in the name of Jesus, and they had said, uh, whether it's right in the sight of God to heed, uh, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to, to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking the things we've seen and heard. Now, that's the only place in the entire Bible where someone actually goes to the weakling cult of I can't help it, that's never biblical. You know, you, you God, there's always grace to overcome your addictions or to do what God's called you to do. But they, these guys are apostles and they claim we can't stop. <laughs> and the Lord doesn't correct them. There's no hint that they're wrong. They say, we can't help it. We just have to tell about what we've seen and heard in Jesus. We can't help ourselves. It's the only cult of weakling that, that the Bible ever gives endorses at all. Nowhere else could, could would God be happy with a I can't help it answer. And then they go to their own, when they're released, they go to their own companions, verse 23, they re, and reported the, what the chief priests and elders had said, and then they have a prayer meeting. And when they heard this, they were, they, um, a few people lifted their voices. Or, no, they were very reverent, so they sat quietly before the Lord. Or they sang a song, and then they had some announcements. None, none of that's there. They lifted their voices out loud to God with one accord. That wasn't a car. That means in, in, symph in symphonically together. And said, O Lord, they start with worship. It is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. Now, understand, when you're reading sermons in the Bible and so forth, it's giving you a summary of what was said, okay? So they, this is a pattern, a model, just like the Lord's Prayer is a model, not something we're supposed to repeat over and over, but it's a pattern for how we're supposed to pray. It, they say, uh, they, work, they start with worship. Then they start they, reminding God of the promises of God, who by the mouth of the Holy Spirit, and they quote, uh, the next two verses are Psalm 2, verse 1 and 2, exactly word for word, and then they say that truly in this city, you know, Pontius Pilate and Herod, you know, tried to stop Jesus by killing him. But God had a predestined plan. They, they're proclaiming the sovereignty of God. And then they pray. They, end, they worship first, then they pray. And when they pray, they say, Lord, take note of their... These are things we should pray on Friday nights. And, and other, you know, I've, I've been so happy to hear that ever since we started announcing that Caleb and Sam and John Gray and different and uh, Beth are here at 8 to 12, that people have been coming and worshiping and praying with them pretty regularly. Call John Gray, call Caleb, uh, set up a time. You, I would love to see a prayer meeting every morning over here. Um, but then they say... Um, when they had when they had prayed, uh, oh, they first they pray, Lord, take note of your threats, grant that thy bond spirit servants may speak the word with all confidence. Paul at twice at in Ephesians and Colossians asked the people to pray for him that he can speak the word more boldly. Pray for boldness. We all struggle with the fear of man, so you need boldness. 
And you, and you need supernatural Holy Spirit boldness. Welcome back, Scott. It's great to see you. Did you, man, you look like you grew taller. Um, so, uh, then they, you know, uh, they say pray for confidence and pray for outpouring of the Holy Spirit that God will confirm his word by the signs that follow. That's what he, that's what happens here. They pray for, then guess what happens when they prayed the place where they had gathered together, uh, had air conditioning and no, it was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the result, they began to speak the word with boldness. Now, here's one, one thing I want you to definitely get. And this is my closing point. They when, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Most of the people, we know John and Peter were there. We know from church history and other documents that this was at John Mark's mother's house. Uh who had been one of the followers of Christ during his life and so forth. And uh, the, the point that we know is that many of the people who either uh, were among the 120 that were filled in this, with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost or the 3,000 that were baptized that day, the room was filled with those people who were all filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 2. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 4 at the end of the prayer meeting. A lot of people have this idea, like, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, I just want to, if you don't know this about me, I have so many problems. One of my problems is I leak. You know, every time God fills me with the Holy Spirit, I'm wasted. Sometimes more gradually than others, but I need to be filled and filled and filled again. I'm like a colander that's got so many holes that you really have to run, run the water fast in order for it to, to gain ground, right? All of us are like that. That's why we need worship together this way. Amen.